Welcome to Anthropology of Girlhood, a girlhood podcast about the circle of life. I'm Alexa Ray Hack. I'm a comedian and storyteller, and I use she, they pronouns. My name is Micah Silver, and I'm an elementary educator, and I use they, them pronouns. Today we are talking about the beginning of the sort of early 90s Disney renaissance. These four movies are Aladdin, Aladdin, Lion King, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, and Hercules. Yeah, which are all wonderful movies that you should definitely have seen by now. If you have not, they are all on Disney Plus and you should watch them. As usual, you can follow us on Twitter at Anthro267. Please leave a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts. It helps tremendously. And as always, thank you and enjoy. So growing up, I had, I loved dramatic play as a kid, as a lot of kids do. But growing up, I had a trunk full of dress-up clothes of, like, old dresses from my grandma and hand-me-downs and, like, stuff we had picked up at thrift stores. Sure. Like, I think a lot of kids did. Right. Exactly. Had some princess dresses, would wear them to the grocery store when my mom took me. It was great. Cute. One of my outfits that I had was Jasmine's blue, like, Sure. Iconic. Yes. Her, like, jumpsuit. Yes. Right? Yeah, it's like a jumpsuit. I think hers was a two-piece, but mine was a jumpsuit. Yeah, hers, I think, is like a crop and pants. high pants. Yeah. But yeah, it could also be like a I lived piece. in that thing for so that long. That checks out. It was so comfy. It's also like very much your style. It is. I would wear it again today. Right. Even, I think it's maybe a little like flowy and diaphanous for... Um, for 2023 in in Minneapolis, but yes, but it's I'd still wear it's, it. <laughs> Look, my okay, fa- my well. sense of fashion does not fit in in Minneapolis, and that's <laughs> fine. Yeah, I think it says something about this era of Disney movies that all of them have been turned into stage productions. I mean, they were written by like a famous like music musical duo, right? And, like, all of them translate gorgeously. Yeah. Um, I mean, fucking Lion King is one of the best internationally. Like, yeah. One of the great stage musicals of all time. Yeah. It's incredible. And, I mean, that also has a lot to do with Julie Taymor and her puppetry. Yeah. But The puppets in that live Lion King. I, I've done a lot of projects on Julie Taymor because I love Julie Taymor. And Across the Universe was one of my comfort movies growing up. Sure it was. I got to go see an exhibit. And I think it came to one of the museums in Chicago of all the puppets from The Lion King. Amazing. It was so cool. That's Seeing dope. all of them like super up close and like how they move and stuff was really dope. That's dope. I'm such a nerd for like costume design because costumes can become iconic. Yeah, like the... I mean, honestly, that Jasmine outfit, right, that you were talking yeah. about. You could hang that thing on a wall. Like, you could yeah. put on that on a hanger in somebody's closet in the dark, and I would recognize it. Yeah. No, Disney's always been really good about, like, making sure that all of their characters are, like, pretty iconic with what they wear. Yeah. Because, like, Aladdin's outfit, too. Yeah, I was just pretty, thinking like, about that, the little vest and the, yeah. You can have someone. The, can hammer, dr- the hammer pants. That's yeah, I was like, someone could wear that for Halloween, and you will know who yeah. they're supposed to be. Yeah. You could mess up the colors. 
and you know like the whole thing you would still read as what it is exactly yeah Yeah. and like it really helps that like disney has done so much work to like color code their characters right that like it is pretty easy to like pick them out and like Mm -hmm. their advertising and their branding is so on key right that like they've been doing this for forever but yeah the music alone in this like beginning of the renaissance is insane yeah i definitely feel like the music is a big part of the success of these particular Disney movies. Absolutely, because you've got Alan Menken, who's starting, mm. like, we've started with Little Mermaid, and now we're, like, right. getting into the swing of his work. Yeah. You've got Elton John fucking writing bangers for Lion King. Right, right. Which he must have been just writing prolifically in the late 90s, because yeah. El Dorado's only a few years later, and he did the music for that. Interesting, interesting. I I bet Disney just made so much money on Aladdin. They were like, you know what? I bet if we hired a famous person to do some songs, we could make even more money. Uh, A formula that they will not be able to repeat to commercial success uh, with Tarzan and Phil Collins. I mean, I liked it. There are defenders of that movie. I am not among them. And you, the box office also is not among them. No. No, it's not. <laughs> but that soundtrack's banging. No, it's terrible. We're going to fight about it. That's going to be a different episode. But yeah, no, the music is one of, like, I... Alan Menken is ridiculous and, like, has been writing, like, yeah. catchy, boppy music and, like, forever. Like, Little Shop of Horrors was, like, where he kind of got his big break. Yeah. And, like, that musical will get stuck in your head forever. Yeah. And then you have Howard Ashman, right, who's, right. like, also done a million, like, written written a million songs, who is now also writing on these. So, like, you this sort of an unstoppable powerhouse yes. of, of musical writing. And then you pull in Hans Zimmer for the right. orchestrations and, like, yeah. Jesus fuck. Yeah, I think, like, the place where a lot of these movies, like, you know, the stories are maybe not incredible, and a lot of the characterizations are even kind of whatever, but the the, the musical numbers are really where, like, what hang all of these together. And I think Aladdin in particular is kind of a movie that is just, like, chewy until you get to a a musical number and then you're like okay this is fine we're having fun again yeah i mm, i kind of disagree a little bit because like i i'm a sucker for a be yourself kind of storyline sure um and i really you know it's <laughs> it's lady and the tramp again exactly maybe that's just sort of what i'm struggling with is it's like this is a story we've just seen a million times it is and it's one that we continue to use and I like granted there is the sort of different aspect of the like be yourself and instead of her coming into his world which is Lady and the Tramp right. and Aristocats it's him trying to break into her world yeah but like the m- essential story and movie is the same yeah it is but like I don't know the musical numbers definitely make it I think 
Robin Williams brings a whole fucking yeah. lot to it. Robin just, Williams like, is like carrying this movie on his back, which fucking like this is like was my introduction to Robin Williams, as I'm sure it was for many kids. Yeah, me too. But like Jesus fucking Christ, Robin Williams, one of my first and biggest comedy influences. Oh, I'm because sure. I have ADHD. I was a very like manic kid, and I really vibed on that energy. Um, so yeah, this movie was huge. I'm sure. Yeah, no, it was, it was real big. We do though. We do have to talk. If we're talking about how good Robin Williams is genie, we should definitely mention about the terrible racist caricature that he plays in the beginning of the merchant selling the lamp and telling the story. I, which I did not, for the longest time, realize was also Robin Williams. Yeah. There's a lot of white people playing brown people in this movie. Yeah, it's trouble. aren't Because, like, isn't the whole main cast of this movie white? Yeah. yeah. It's, um, it's trouble. And I don't really know what else to say about it. Like, yes, it was 30 years ago, but... No, it's not okay. <laughs> yeah. And like it's funny because you would never try and get away with this in 1993 live action. Live action, right? Like you would never ever like brown, well maybe in 93 you might still. But like you probably wouldn't brown face six actors. No. For a you, movie like this. You would hope not. You sure would fucking would hope not. But um, in animation, somehow you can get away with, you know, it's yeah. like it's still totally OK to have a white person voice a non-white character for some reason that doesn't make sense at all. Yeah, I don't get it. Um, but it like this is like where we start to see diversity in Disney, though, which is really nice. Like yeah. we're branching away from like the cute little Aryan princesses. Right. And all the stories that are set in like versions of Western Europe. Right. At least in this branch, we get a little bit more diversity. We do go back to France and hunchback and right. I mean, Greece is pretty white for Greece. Right. Yeah. We'll talk about that later. But that'll come up in a second. Uh, But yeah, at least with Aladdin and Lion King, you have at least some kind of diversity with setting and characters that we haven't really had up to this point. Yeah, it is. It is a little bit refreshing for sure. Although it's frustrating that a lot of the time when we get stories about like potentially non-white characters or like in places that are not. Europe, though a lot of times those characters are animals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's tough. That's not great. It's not great. Because, um, I... like, presumably Lion King is the first, again, almost no actual black voice actors in that, well, very few actual bl- black voice actors in that cast. But there wouldn't be another, like, black Disney movie until Princess and the Frog? Yeah. A movie in which one of the leads is a frog? Yeah. For most of the movie? Yeah. It's it's not good. 
but you know it, it's it's gotten better for sure at least with the live action of little mermaid she's gonna be black yeah which i know everyone's mad about but it's gonna be good <laughs> and you know that movie soul came out a few years ago where he spends the whole movie as a not a person th- yeah <laughs> yeah uh, oh boy just wanted to make sure we established that that pattern is not over. No, <laughs> it's not. I do think this era of Disney movies really set my expectation for men way too high. Definitely. Which... I've never seen a man work half as hard as Aladdin. Or like even just like how sweet he is. Yeah. Like the willingness to like give away his food to starving children or like jumping in instantly yeah. to like save Jasmine from almost getting her hand chopped off in the market. Yeah. Like do that. Who's who? Yeah. Who's he? I've never met. Him. I've never met him. Yeah. If I met men like that, I might actually date. Men. Right. I was. <laughs> I don't remember who I was talking to, but I'm like, my taste in men is Disney men. Like, yeah, fair. Because (laughs) Disney men are like written by a feet creative type, written and drawn by a feet creative types, but to appeal to like, you know, pretty popular types. Right. You know? Yeah, although this, I mean, this is kind of the era where, like, the Disney men become kind of anything at all. Yeah, this is, like, where they actually start getting, like, actual personalities. Right, because up until now, like, except where they're taking that personality, like, directly from the property that they're, like, copying. This is also, like, where we start centering stories around that men instead of right. the princess although we barely centered sleeping beauty around sleeping beauty let's be real yeah um but like yeah like you know we we're following aladdin and we're following hercules and we're following tarzan and right. milo and um jim and all of these like from this whole 90s to early 2000s era yeah and like it is a like diverse group of men. Like they're not like both in look and in like personality type, which is really nice. Yeah. And like we aren't stuck with the same boring white man every single time, right. which is nice. But also like they still feel pretty two dimensional, totally, and like aren't quite fully fledged. Which I don't think is to blame necessarily on the writing of the movie and more to do with like how we let men be. Yeah. And like how complex we allow them to be. Yeah. Which is not at all. Right. Yeah. I definitely think there is this kind of like weird cultural masculine expectation of like if you are just nice and otherwise plain that is enough, right? It's not. Like, I think that's kind of where some of this, like, nice guy stuff comes yeah. from. Is like, I'm nice to women and none of them want to fuck me. It's like, well, is there anything actually interesting about you or are you just nice? Or also, like, you probably aren't actually nice given if you have how to this tell, interaction is going. I would say if you have to tell people you're a nice person, you're probably, you're probably not. not. But even if you are, like, I've met plenty of men who were, like, perfectly pleasant but that didn't make me want to date or sleep with them no you have to be pleasant and interesting yeah 
Like, I don't understand how... I don't know. I also don't know how people can, like, get to be in their mid-30s like I am and, like, not have gotten to be interesting on accident. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I have not gone out of my way to do a lot of interesting things. Well... Maybe yes, I have. Yeah. But like most of the stuff that I find that is most most of my like most interesting stories are stuff that happened on accident. Yeah, that's true. This could be the autism speaking, but like what are you into? Like why do you not have any interests? Right. Like do you not have things that you like to learn about? Yeah. Why not? That's yeah. That seems weird. What are you researching right now? Oh, I think we have to talk about Jafar. We do have to talk about Jafar. We've talked before about the effete villain, like finger steepling villain in these movies before. But Jafar is like... Jafar takes the cake. He might be the sort of apotheosis of that trope. Although Scar gives him a real run for his money in terms of like mincing. Oh. (laughs) Who who minces harder? (laughs) Jafar or Scar? I think Jif- I think Scar has the benefit of having uh, Jerry Iron's voice, right? Which yeah, they can't make villains appealing because then we're gonna mock, <laughs> we're gonna mimic their behavior. <laughs> like what? What were they thinking? Of course, we're gonna mo- they're modeling behavior that we think of people being cool. Yeah, what were we supposed to do? Yeah, and all the heroes in these movies are like a little bit milk toast and lame. Yeah. Like- <laughs> They're they're good, but they're also just kind of like boring. Yeah. Like, no, you're gonna put a bunch of fabulous drag queens in front of us and be like, "Don't be like them." I'll be like, mm, um, "I think you're wrong." Incorrect. But yeah, no, Jafar. I like. I do appreciate that we can tell Jafar is gonna be the bad guy right away because his horse is black. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Which, dead giveaway. You know, you always can tell he's a slimy little shitbag. Yeah, he like he does ooze slime in a really interesting way. Yeah, and like is not just like conniving, but is like actively annoying and misogynistic. Like. He's got a line that's, oh, you're speechless. I see. What a great quality in a wife. Ew. Yeah, there's a real, like, sort of sexual menace. Yeah. In Jafar that we don't really get in Disney villains. No, we don't. First of all, because very often up until now, our Disney villains have been women. Yeah. And yeah, that's not really a thing that happens like like since either. It's very odd. It is very it odd. It definitely as a child made me uncomfortable. Yeah. I can remember distinctly being like this whole thing about like trapping her into marriage it makes me feel the big ick. Yeah. I mean, you kind of get it again in Hunchback with Frollo and Esmeralda. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Which we'll get into in a little bit. But like one thing that these two have in common is neither of the women are white and therefore over sexualized. I'm assuming. Yeah. Which doesn't surprise me. Part of it. But also, like, we don't have the combination of, like, a female protagonist and a male antagonist that often. Right. Within Disney, at least so far. 
Like it's been like with Little Mermaid, you have Ursula with, you know, and if you've got Captain Hook, you've got Peter Pan instead of, you know. um, And so really this is the first time we're seeing different dynamics play out. Yeah. And I think not everyone is as queer coded as Hades, so it doesn't come off as. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't get the same vibe from Hades. He doesn't have the same, like... No, he doesn't. I know... Yeah. Hades is, like, a whole other beast that, like, doesn't conform with the rest of what was going on in this era, I yeah. feel like. Also, Hades is married. What's going on? Where is his wife? Where is his wife? Anyway? You know Persephone would not stand for any of this shit. No, absolutely not. Anyway. <laughs> I remember really resonating with Jasmine as a kid. Mm-hmm. Of, like, feeling trapped in, like, a gilded cage. Totally. Of, like, knowing, like, you shouldn't be complaining because you have it good, but you still, like, Mm -hmm. something isn't right and something doesn't, and you feel trapped. And I remember, like, definitely being like, yeah, I want to run away. That sounds great. Like, let's do that. Especially, I think, when, for you, because you, like, grew up in a household that was, like, was supportive but still couldn't give you the thing that you actually needed, which was like gender affirmation. Yeah. Because you also didn't know that's what you needed. Nope. So it's like you had access to all these resources, but like you weren't able to actually get what I use them to your ends. Yeah. They were like channeled towards someone else's ends, which is frustrating, which is frustrating. And yeah, it. I also love how fucking sassy she is. That too. Like, I love a princess who's like, no, fuck you. Don't marry me off. Like, don't talk about me like I'm a prize to be won. I am a human being and treat me as such. Yeah. That is kind of a theme in these, um, in these new Disney Renaissance movies. Yeah. Right? Like the original Disney princesses are kind of like, kind of our prizes yeah. to be won. Yeah. And Jasmine is sort of actively saying, like, this is not a thing we're doing anymore. No, like, we're not we're not doing the dis- the princess in the the high tower who's going to be like saved. Like, no, that's not. I'm not going to sit here and let you talk about me like I'm a piece of meat. Right. And I really love that. And I think it was a really good shift that we start seeing. Totally. Because, yeah, like, I think every female protagonist we have in this next section is like sassy and like can lay down yeah also like we would be derelict in our duties as a podcast if i didn't point out that um this movie is a fundamentally a movie about class consciousness of course it is and about how like the rich truly don't understand how bad the rest of us have it. No. And that even money can't necessarily get you access to the culture of the rich yeah. of the owner class, right? Like even if you have all the trappings of being a capitalist like you're still just a regular person because you don't have access to the like levers of power yeah exactly yeah at least aladdin has the good moral lesson of if you're poor it's okay to steal (laughs) yeah right so after aladdin we move on to lion king which came out in 1994 
Yeah. Which means it's as old as me, which does not feel right. I mean, I remember watching both of these movies, Aladdin and Lion King, for the first time when I was three and five, respectively. So, Yeah. I was born in 94, so... <laughs> I remember watching them for the first time, but like they had been out for a while. Yeah. I think to be fair, I think we got them on like VHS when they came out because I don't think we were big, ever big like movie theater. No, especially when you're that little, like it's hard to make a five-year-old sit down in a movie theater. Yeah. And it's so overwhelming and usually scares them. Especially an autistic five-year-old. Yeah. As I definitely was. Yes. Yes, you were. (laughs) But like, again, with the music just being absolutely iconic, you circle of life has been like, right. Cemented into the culture in a way that like so few songs have, and this movie opens so hard. It opens so like, it hard. It goes so hard from the first. Like this, maybe has top two iconic openings of all time with the Star Wars trumpets. The ba 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 ba. Yeah, like that. Absolutely. You know, you could play that one measure or the opening measure of this and everybody goes, ah, this movie. Yeah. Like, so iconic. And it just starts bang. Like we're starting from the top. This is this is a hit. This is a bop right from the jump. And the animation is absolutely stunning. Beautiful. Like the opening sequence is so so incredible. You know a bunch of animators had fun just like drawing all these animals running across this open savanna. Yeah, I do know that Disney had a bunch of animators do a study in Africa and like actually went to go yeah. and like do like a safari and they brought in like a wildcat professional and like had lions come into the animation studio to like cool. so the artists could like watch how they move and do like an in-depth study so it was like movements were more cat-like and more lion-like right. and not so much anthropomorphized yeah the cats the way the lions move has that like really natural kind of like glidey yeah cat movement that yeah it's like very realistic yeah i mean i've never you know not that i've interacted with like a ton of lions in my no, life but you do you do know that none of the lion roars are actually lion roars right i did not know that what are, what are they They're tigers because ah. lions don't really roar the way people think they do what they kind of make a weird like groan chirping noise it's more like so all of the lion roars i've heard in my life have probably been tigers the original mgm lion did roar when in the 199 like the early 1900s but they redid it i want to say in the 70s or 80s and it was a tiger roar right so the iconic one uh-huh. that i remember uh-huh is a tiger is a roar. tiger Wow. That makes sense. That's like whenever you see an eagle and you hear that eagle screech, that's that's a hawk. Yeah. Eagles chirp. Yeah. They don't make that bit that screech noise. No, lions kind of like they make loud noises. They're just not as impressive as like a right. tiger's they don't roar. Give that like roar right. noise. Yeah. No, they kind of just like <laughs> You know how Yoshi yells. Yeah. This is another movie. The Lion King about, and 
Aladdin is kind of in this mold, but and a lot of the Disney movies are about like living up to your parents' high expectations of oh, you. Oh boy, that which wasn't is something th- I related a to. Thing I think we both can identify with. Like, don't know what you mean. The whole like this kid is like six years old or something. And his dad is like, okay, by the way, no stress, but you are going to have to rule over literally, like, the entire observable savannah. Yeah. So don't don't worry about it, but also worry a lot about it, because you're going to have to be ready, and I could die any day. At least Mufasa had the right, had the, like, right idea of, like, if you are king, you need to respect everything, and yeah. we are all connected, and... Don't be an asshole. Yeah. But also, don't put that much pressure on a six-year-old. Precisely. You can't. Or or you, what you have to do is you have to, I mean, I guess, like, um, no. What you have to do is you have to assign this kid, like, a tutor. Yeah. Who is just, like, peppering in politics lessons while also doing like because you can't just like tell a kid when they're six years old like hey by the way you're going to be king but also i will be providing no further information or assistance on no! this topic <laughs> what how can you do that why can you do that like the way that princes and like you know royalty are trained is like they are trained early and often yeah so that by the time they become whatever royals, like they already know how right. to do everything. They aren't just being thrown into the deep end. Exactly. Because yeah, that's stuff. Because like I would run well. the fuck away too. That's terrifying. Also, you I mean there was the whole like you mur- you thought you murdered your father? Yeah, because you, right. your manipulative uncle. Who's... Right, because you're six years old or whatever. Yeah, your brain's not fully developed. You just watched your dad die. Like, right. That's, you're not thinking clearly. No, absolutely not. No. Which, like, Mufasa's death gets me every fucking it's time. A, it's, it's, yeah, it's a killer. Like, we haven't, like, we've had dead parents before, but we've never seen the death of a parent right. before we don't in a Disney. usually watch it happen. Yeah, and it's shattering. Yeah. I especially remember when I, yeah, when I watched it as a kid, it like fully destroyed me every time. I was not time. prepared for it. We do have one of my favorite villain songs of all time in Lion King. Yeah. Be Prepared. Oh my God, is Be Prepared is so one of the good. great villain songs. And I do appreciate that we are far enough away from World War II that we can actually use Nazis as the villain. Yeah. And like be like, no, they were the bad ones. Yeah. Let's, let's not forget that. Um, which an interesting stance for the Disney Corporation to take. It is, but but no. you know, better late than never. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, be prepared is probably one of the best villain songs. I think it's like, it's such a fucking bop. It's so good, and it totally does. It totally nails the like Nazi imagery. Yeah, perfectly. Um. Yeah. Okay, but I never understood this about Scar. Like, what... What was he not getting that by ruling he achieved, right? Like, what is he... How does How is he winning when he takes over the pride? 
power. Sure, but to what end? Total control. I don't... Yeah, I Again, don't... Again, like, my point is sort of, like, power for power's sake is nothing. Yeah. Right? Like... Which I think is kind of the moral of the story. Yeah. Which is kind of the point where, like... Scar wants power for power's sake and destroys everything. Yeah. Where Simba doesn't want power and takes it out of responsibility to take care of everyone. Right. And saves everything. But I'm, I guess I was sort of get thinking about the, the Nazi analogy, mm-hmm. right? Of like the Nazi rise to power was about economic anxiety that was pushed on to a scapegoat and whatever, whatever, right? Yep. Like fundamentally is about economic anxiety. Yes. Um, and, and, and anti-Semitism for sure. But, um, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. There, you cannot separate the two. <laughs> but like, right, like that was the problem that the Nazis were trying to fix. Right. right? They were like, we're going to solve this by whatever. But, like, there doesn't seem to be a th- a thing that Scar is trying to achieve or accomplish, right? It, it, almost, it feels like it would be more politically expedient for him to just let Simba come to power and just, like, whisper in, in his ear and try and get all of the power that he wants that way because this is a child and yeah. he could kind of do whatever he wanted. Yeah, that's true. Without I, having to like do a full like coup d'état with hyenas. I feel like this is just one of those things where you got to ask Shakespeare for it because I haven't read Hamlet in a really long time and I forget the reasoning behind it. I haven't read Hamlet in a really long time. Hamlet's one of the ones I did read. I don't think there's a full coup. I don't think there's a full coup. in Like an armed coup in Hamlet. I think... It's just the, like, poisoning and takeover. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's that. I think it's just, from what I remember, I don't think there's a full-blown coup. But I think it's just more dramatic and more fun. I guess. Simpler. I just simplified for Disney, I guess. It's hard to poison someone when you're a lion. That's true. No, yeah. I figured that the the poisoning doesn't make part doesn't make sense. I guess maybe I'm thinking too much about the like political maneuverings <laughs> of these lions. I've been rewatching Game of Thrones a lot lately. <laughs> I've been thinking about political maneuvering a lot. Uh, of course so you have. Maybe I'm just thinking about it too hard. I think I that's, what's, think that's what's happening. Okay, so if we're talking about Lion King, and we have to, and this is our, the podcast that it is. Uh-huh. We have to talk about Timon and Pumbaa and their terrible, terrible philosophy of Akuna Matata. Yes. Okay. I I wrote this down too. That like Hakuna Matata is. It's pretty much just bottle that shit up and don't deal with your trauma. <laughs> right. Right. It's the political philosophy of like every stoner you met. When they were like 22. Yes. And they were like, I don't have to worry about my problems. I'm just going to go home and get high about it. It's like, that, that is not a solution, my guy. Yeah. Also, this is a self, this is a self call up post. Of course it is. <laughs> no, totally. It's like, 
you can't just run away like as someone who has run away from their past you cannot run away from your past it'll like catch up with you eventually as it does with simba and like i think that it's really important that like this was such a big thing and everyone still is like oh you know akuna matata i'm like no that is not a good philosophy no no face your shit deal with shitty life philosophy process things right or else it's gonna bite you in the ass right process your shit or a baboon's gonna come hit you over the head with a stick (laughs) yeah which you know rafiki's just a therapist I I wrote that Rafiki is like a mushroom uncle. <laughs> you know, like he's not a wine mom. He's not a vodka aunt. He's definitely a mushroom he's, uncle. He's a mushroom uncle. He's always just like saying cryptic shit that sounds profound, but is actually nonsense. And he just like is always like a little bit fried. And you're like, my dude, what is going on? Like, what have you done to your poor brain? Yeah, no, Rafiki's definitely a mushroom uncle. Like, this this dude is microdosing every day, but he is not microdosing. Yeah. <laughs> he is macrodosing. Yeah, he is. Oh, oh yeah. See, I wrote Simba is every traumatized kid who does drugs and alcohol instead of going to therapy. Yeah, exactly. There we go. That's That's it. You know, enabled by his gay uncles. Yeah. Who are also not processing their shit. No, definitely. Fun little animation fact that I feel like you can really tell in the art style, which is Jafar and Scar are animated by the same person. Yeah, you can definitely tell. And I believe he also, it's the same person who ends up animating Hercules. Interesting. Which was like his first hero. I think this, I don't know if you can identify with this or not, but this movie really struck me in the the way of like, the way that sometimes when you have trauma, especially childhood trauma, it's easy to feel responsible for the like pain and suffering of the people around you. I'm sort of like, I was a kid who like my parents got divorced when I was young. Well, sort of like had a prolonged eight year divorce. Right. Um, that sort of, you know, it's like sort of hard as many times as people tell you, like, it's not your fault. It's still hard not to feel responsible in some way for no, that. Totally. That pain and suffering. And no. in the same way that Simba sort of feels responsible, even though intellectually he knows that, like, there's no way that it could be his fault. Yeah. No, I definitely feel that. And, like, it's definitely something that, like, I, you know, I grew up the eldest daughter. So at managing people's emotions. It's, like, kind of your job. It was kind of my job. And which, like, is a hard fucking habit to break. And is something that, like, I really identified with Simba of, like, having this, like, feeling of, like, no, I fucked up. Like, I can't be worth something. I fucked up so badly that, like, I had to run away from it because there was no living with it. Yeah. Which resonated a lot more this time around. Yeah, honestly, yeah. That's, like, a thing as a trans person that it's easy to feel like, when you come out and people get their feelings hurt because you are not the person that they had imagined you to be, it's hard not to feel like you hurt them, even though totally. they hurt themselves by, like, whatever, projecting 
yeah. stuff on you that isn't yours. Right. Like it feels like it's your responsibility to stay, which is like why I feel like so many of us take forever to come out is because it's like we feel almost an obligation to be the person that everyone else expects you to be. Yeah. And that like coming out is disappointing everyone you love. Yeah. I definitely felt that a lot yeah. when I came out. And, like, leading up to coming out and feeling like, oh, well, these people are going to treat me differently or, like, these people are never going to treat me differently. Right. And, like, that's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hunchback comes out in 96. And I think this is my favorite music out of this batch of movies. See, this is the first one as a kid I remember watching and, like, not vibing with. I, do, I remember not vibing with it as a kid, but as an adult, I vibe with it super it's hard. It's definitely probably too mature for me as a six-year-old. Right. Like, I was like, as some, like as young as I was when this came out, like, of course I didn't probably, vibe with it. yeah, was but not like, the right time. But, like, watching it this time around, I was like, oh, shit, this is good. This is good. Because, like, this is also, like, Hunchback is, like, the first time that we have an animated movie that is treated like a live action movie with the cinematography and right. the lighting and like the set design mm -hmm. in a way that like is taken for granted now and like right. is done with purpose. But like because we have been doing 2D animation hasn't really been something we've been thinking about. Yeah. Um, because like the fucking lighting in this movie is iconic. Like, yeah, they have lens flares of like with transitions, like during one day out there, like he, there's this big lens flare that changes and then he changes the lighting in the cathedral, like mm. at sunset yeah. with the candles. It's right. like, there are so many good iconic, like I would take screenshots of this movie and hang them as ours. Totally. They're so good. Um, but it like for the first time it feels like it's treated like fully as a movie and an art project mm -hmm. and not just like things are put on the back burner because it's an animated movie right yeah it's beautiful like the the beautiful like s swinging glory shots of of the cathedral are incredible Stunning. Absolutely stunning. And I love that, like, this movie really takes advantage of animation that way. And, like, there are camera moves in this, in Hunchback that you could not do with a camera. No. And, like, I think that is one of the most interesting things about animation is the way that you can put the camera, camera, right. wherever you want and swing it around and upside down and... It, you know, never have to worry about seeing the track because, you know. Yeah. And especially if in the 90s, like we didn't have drones, we didn't have like right. the ability to do those big sweeping shots that we do today. Right. So, of course, like the only way to get them like this is to animate them and have that ability to like really yeah. zoom in and out. And like the opening shots of flying over Paris exactly. are just exactly. incredible. Like, that stuff that even with a drone now, you probably still couldn't do. No. Especially because, like, it's so directed and intricate and, like, mm -hmm. so gorgeous. Uh, fun fact, Paris no longer has those narrow streets like we do. We see in Hunchback and we also see in uh, shows like Les Mis. And do you know why? Why? Because you know what narrow pathways are really good for? 
barricades and revolutionaries hiding in them. So that they, why they widened the streets? Yup. That's uh, I, oh, wanna, I actually think I did learn. Remember learning that in uh, it was like, like my AP European history. I class. don't remember who it who did it, but like like thousands and thousands of buildings were gutted and moved. So they I do I do remember this now. Yeah, because you know French and the revolution. They, yeah, they're big big on big on those. Yeah, they are. I think Frollo is one of the best written villains we have. And and not in just like an entertaining way, but in the like he's actually terrifying kind of way. Right. And I think it's because he is one of those villains, kind of like Umbridge and Harry Potter, where we know him. Right. He is someone in our life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He is someone who is currently in power. Right. Like. Yeah. And. And he has real motivation. He has real motivation. Like unlike yeah. Scar that we were talking about, he or even Jafar, whose like motivations still are basically just power. Like we get what he is motivated by. Like we get what he wants we get why the protagonists are getting in his way like it all makes sense right it like it all makes sense and they're all very like human simple motivations right that like you could relate to in a way that you don't want to relate to yeah and i think like that mixed with the absolute power games that he plays with Quasimodo are... Yeah, that shit is fucked up. Yeah. Like, the fact that he... Like, the fact that Frollo has Quasi call him master at all yeah. tells you everything you need to know. That bit's bad. That bit's bad. Uh, there's the fact that when Quasi has plates for them in his tower, Qu- uh, Frollo's are metal, where Quasi's are all made of wood. I didn't catch that. Yeah. There's like a bunch of little shit like that. And like even like going over his alphabet, like the like A's for abomination. Like, yeah, like the absolute like brainwashing grooming of this like totally child that you've been raising is so unfortunately fundamental to things that we have run into in this country and like right. we run into in our own lives that we're like, oh, I know you. Right. Oh, this is not good. Right. Yeah, like this Frollo is like uh, a shitty Christian homeschool mom. Exactly. But but like cranked up to 11. Yeah. Um, Frollo also like really set some good groundwork for Mother Gothel coming up. Totally. He's very much in the tradition of, yeah, of the evil stepmother kind yeah. of. Yeah, most of my stuff about um, Hunchback is just about, like, the racism and about how this is just, like, it's it's a morality play about yeah. tolerance and which, prejudice. Like, which it is. It is. It's beautiful. Th- that's sort of maybe the thing that is, like, not my favorite about this is, like, I don't know, the story itself is pretty bare bones. A lot of the arguments and the hatred against the Romani feel very similar to Mm anti-Semitism. Like it's pretty, it feels very much same word, different font, Uh which is so like, which is why like a lot of people forget that the Romani also got really 
fucked up over in World War II. Um, they just had a smaller population, so it well doesn't... because it's another diaspora population, exactly. right? It's another population that has been long since displaced from their homeland and has been repeatedly displaced and displaced and displaced, yep. much like the Jewish community. Yeah. So it's very much, it's also a community that is present, you know, present enough in in all different cultural contexts that it can be a, a pretty universal scapegoat. Yeah, and we also should talk. Why tell me why that Quasimodo's both of his parents were Romani and brown and he is white? Yeah. Do you want to know why cuz there is an answer? It's cuz he's a main character and he has to be white. It's implying that they stole him. <gasps> Which in the stage production they try and remedy it by saying Esmeralda is the stolen child and is like the brother is Frollo's brother's child, but yeah, no, it's because it's not their kid. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Boy. Yeah. And the like the the stealing babies thing, like yep. that's such a classic anti Semitism trope. Yep, and, and same I, with Romani. And I think the thing is so funny about the sort of anti Romani sentiment is that it's it's more it it feels more culturally palatable than yeah. anti-semitism yeah right like i don't uh, it's because they're browner than us yeah right like i i don't feel like you could make actively make an like anti-semite anti-semitic jokes on like a, a sitcom but i sure have seen a lot of British sitcoms that make jokes about yep. their Romani population. Oh, yeah. That's all over the fucking place. And like, and, like, it's not, it's still not great. No, and, like, watching Hunchback, like, these were, especially, like, well, f- the scenes where Frollo is, like, hunting down Esmeralda and, like, try, like burning Paris. Like, these are things that were actually happening, and, like, these were, like, these are actual events. And Paris was a walled city at the time. Yeah. There was no escaping. Right. Like, they, you know, it was another, like, it was a genocide. And yeah. has been. And, yeah, it's not good. And, like, I appreciate that, like, we call it out for the behavior that it was and that it's atrocious. And we have, you know, Phoebus being like, this is murder and I'm not going to do it. Right. Um, and doing what he can to like help people, but like it's not he, he's not it's not good. Yeah, it's not good. It's bad. It's not good. I also like this. This is one of the few, like not only Disney movies, but one of the few popular movies in general that like truly depicts the church as a force for like malice yes and not good but it kind of like does both sure it has a good balance because like you do have the archbishop who's like i feel like is the 
fundamental like you be a good person like yeah. what you want the church to be yeah and then you have frollo who is blaming um you know blaming other people for his downfalls yeah which it's also just like to me white man move. to me it's so stark the contrast to have a movie that is about like marginalized people who like have to scrape to get by and it is set around one of the most extravagant churches yeah like in the in the christian world yeah yeah it's like that's a that's a real juxtaposition right like that that creates a real dissonance of like Maybe if the church really wanted to, like, help people and do good, maybe instead of building giant billion-dollar buildings, they could, like, actually build homes to house people and food to feed them. So, fun facts. Uh, so, the uh, Hunchback is originally a Victor Hugo novel, correct? Right, right. Before Victor Hugo wrote Hunchback of Notre Dame, Notre Dame was in disarray and falling apart because it was a giant church and there was no money yeah. and it was not a cemented as a like staple in modern culture as it is. It was his book that like started to revolution. People got interested in the church again and started like donating and trying to rebuild the cathedral so we can blame Victor Hugo for it. Stupid. Yeah. Yeah, well, he probably also helped save the catacombs and the sewer systems in Paris because he was obsessed with the sewer systems of Paris, which... Weird. Weird. Look, we can't choose our special interests. No, we cannot choose our special interests. <laughs> because this is Anthropology of Girlhood and we do talk about relationships, we do need to talk about the love triangle between... Uh, Quasimodo, Phoebus, and Esmeralda. Yeah, totally. Because, like, you feel bad for Quasi for, like, not getting the girl because it feels like he should get the girl because it's a Disney movie and, like, that's yeah. the formula. But I really do appreciate that we see what we see happen is that Esmeralda, like, understands and goes for the person who sees her as an actual person and not right. just, like, a... When it comes to Quasi and Esmeralda, it's very much a trauma response of, oh, you were nice to me, so I'm in love with you. Yeah, right, exactly. Where Phoebus is very, her uh, her and Phoebus have, like, actual chemistry. And right. it's like, which, their banter is phenomenal and are such a vibe. Yeah. Um, but I really appreciated that, like, we, one, Quasi actually respects her choice and, like, doesn't blame her or like get mad at her yeah. or like continually works to save her despite him feeling like brokenhearted. Um, and two that, um, you know, you have again, a woman who actually has some agency right. and choice in her life and who she like falls for. Totally. Yeah. The last one of this round was Hercules that came out in 97, which, was was and still is one of my comfort movies yeah yeah that makes sense i would watch it on repeat the music in this one is especially the like chorus of the muses is amazing the muses are one 
vocally stunning. Like the right. music is incredible, but also such an interesting storytelling device. Mm-hmm. Like I really appreciate that they like try to tell, like keep it like on plates and dishes and like tell the story through right. the way that Greeks would pat like ancient Greece would have passed down the story. Right. Um, but still making it like an animated movie, which is super cool. Plus, yeah, like having the core, the Greek chorus who exactly. explains everything to you like that. That's how this right. would work. Exactly. It's absolutely wonderful. And like all of their songs are just fucking bops. And it allows the movie to like k- cover a lot more like distance. Yes. Then you would normally be able to squeeze into a movie because it allows you to do like the montages and stuff where the muses can just like say like a bunch of stuff happens. Right. He's doing great now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Zero to hero is such a fucking bop. Right. That's the one. That's the one I was thinking. You knew exactly. Oh, I love it so much. It's so good. That being said, Hercules isn't Greek. Yes. Hercules isn't Greek. Hercules Hercules is Roman. Hercules is Roman. Heracles is Greek. Zeus is Greek, but I don't know who this man is. This is not Zeus. <laughs> this is some Zeus ass propaganda, and this is—he was not a good father. Yeah, I don't know. Or who nice. This, I don't know who this like kind, good father, like paternal figure is, but it ain't. Zeus. It is not Zeus. The dialogue in this movie is so fucking good, though. There are so many good like one-liners and like jokes, especially with like being said in ancient greek like call um ixi i i fucking gets me every time but again those are roman numerals i know it doesn't it's not real and like but it's still funny as hell yeah or like the guy who's in uh this who just like opens his trench coat is like do you want to buy a sundial like stupid it's so stupid and there are like so many like weird little like yeah like when he knocks the arms off the statue right like, there's so many dumb little like visual jokes and like one-liners jokes. it's so good i don't know it's it's really good I, I i feel like i wrote in my notes like we could make a full one hour podcast about all of the ways that this does is not accurate oh god to any greek myth of no. ever no 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 <laughs> no this is not a greek myth uh this is definitely a disney movie and yeah i am sorry if this was your introduction to greek <laughs> mythology because you must have been very disappointed yeah i just i like how like we kind of go through like the trials of Heracles, right? We go all whatever they're called. Um, But we sort of neglect the whole, the whole, like, and then we just pretend that Hera is like a loving mother. (laughs) And we neglect the whole, like, that she literally gave them to him, like, as a punishment, as a joke, that he was, like, never going to be able to accomplish all this shit. Yeah. Like, okay. Okay, none of this, just literally none of this. But that's okay. I guess you can just, like, use names of characters people recognize, and they'll go, oh, okay. And then everything, you can just make everything else up. I mean, that's worked for Disney so far. Because Pegasus is a gift from Poseidon, who's not even in this movie. I don't, yeah. (sighs) Because horses are Poseidon's thing. Yeah, horses are Poseidon's thing. 
It made me mad. I I truly get like mad. That's why this movie cannot be a comfort movie for me. It makes me too mad. That's fair. <laughs> that is fair. I am not a Greek mythology autistic. I never like. Oh yeah, I was hard. I like when I was a kid. I never got into it, but the, so like I never got quite as mad. Like I know it enough, but like yeah, it was never my special interest or anything. That being said, Hercules is autistic. Do you think so? Doesn't really know how to fit in with society. Doesn't read social cues very well. Literally takes th- takes things very literally. The whole use your head bit when he's fighting the centaur. Okay, okay, okay. I mean, he's also like our first real... Uh, I think he's just stupid. I was going to say, he's also our first Disney himbo, which like could just be that. Yeah. But I really read him as autistic, but that could just be because I related to him because all of these like renaissance Disney guys, I'm like, ooh, soft boy who doesn't fit in. I wonder why I relate to that. <laughs> Don't know why those hit so yeah. hard as a kid. Huh, I wonder what that could be. But... Do you want to talk about the weird sexist animation or the queer coding? Ooh, let's talk about queer coding. This movie is so queer coded. Yeah. Like, and it's not just Hades. Right. It's very much, because, like, we've got Hermes, who is, like, very obvious. Obviously. Yeah. Um, And, like, queer coded. And Hades is, like, kind of a more mass queer coded character that we don't necessarily see all the time. Totally. But I would even say Meg and Hercules are very queer coded in a way that like, yeah, like Hercules is portrayed as like, despite being like huge and powerful, he's kind of like soft. Yeah, exactly. It's one of those. And you cannot, you couldn't tell me in a million years that, Meg is not into women. I refuse to believe Megara that. Megara is so bi, it's not even funny. There's no way, yeah. She's like, no, no. There's so much bi energy radiating off, radiating off of her. It's, no, she's she's one of us. But, like, that's what it feels like is, like, it's one of us hiding our story within something that is relatable to the public. Totally, yeah. That's what a lot of this Disney stuff feels like, yeah. which, I mean, like... That makes sense, I that guess. That makes a lot of sense. So, weird little bit of animation that I've realized throughout this. That is a fun little bit of sexism. Mm-hmm. All of the male characters have actual feet and toes, and all of the femme characters have little Barbie feet. What? I never even thought about it, but yeah, I can picture all the men's feet. Uh-huh. And all the women are just always in... Like ballet Barbie shoes. Yeah. Because even Zeus's statue has toes. Right. And we see Hercules' toes. And we, we see, see... We even seen Pain, Pain and, Panic, and Panic's toes. toes. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. Don't know why women aren't allowed to have feet. That's a weird one. Yeah. That's a weird one. I don't know. I don't even know how to... No, how to process that? That's a weird. That's a weird one. It's a weird one, and once you see it, you cannot unsee it. So I needed someone else to suffer with me. Well, you're, you're welcome, I guess. <laughs> this is another movie, yet another one of these Disney movies. This is somebody's fuck it. Somebody needs to go. Somebody at Disney needs to go to therapy about this <laughs> because it's another movie about insanely high parental expectations. Yeah, about like your parents are literal gods. And you have to prove to them that you're good enough to be a god? Like, that 
is that's too much pressure. That's, that's absolutely much. that's some bullshit. That's absolute, absolutely not not happening. Like, just let your kid be happy. Do you want to do a lightning round? Let's do a lightning round. What is it with Disney and hype uh, and hypnotizing snakes? Because in Aladdin, you have Jafar staff. Yeah. What I is it? And then also Jungle Book, Book and, and Robin Hood. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. What is it about snakes? Explain to me why one of my earliest crushes was on an animated lion. I can't because the same thing happened to me. <laughs> I don't know, but it happened. Why did they make her so sexy? I do really appreciate that Simba un- figured out it was Nala by the way that she pinned him to the ground. <laughs> In Aladdin, Abu has a vest. He Uh has no pants. Sure. Where does he hide the lamp when he grabs it? In his hammer space. (laughs) We've talked about this before. Cartoons just just have hammer space where they can just hide objects that are way too big to ever possibly be held. It's annoying. I don't like it. Uh, in Lion King, we continue the tradition of your gay parental figures doing drag. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and we got to talk about how um, the Proud Boys took their name from <laughs> a song from the Aladdin stage musical. Proud of Your <laughs> Boy is a fantastic number. But like... All musical theater is a little gay. Yes. Like a non-zero amount. A non-zero amount of gay. Like it's just the nature of like it has always been like a queer space and it's like whatever. Proud of your boy is not a straight number. (laughs) No. And the fact that the Proud Boys encouraged their members to watch the video or listen to it at least once a day, just like Makes my brain so happy. It's so funny to me how these like right wing hyper masculine groups always just miss the point. Yeah. You know, like they love the Matrix and they've taken the like red pill analogy. Yeah. But it's like, buddy, you don't understand that that movie is about being trans yeah it's written and directed (laughs) by two trans women what 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 you don't understand like (laughs) so close so close the red pill is hrt my guy (laughs) it really is the woman who plays sarabi mage sinclair is actually was one of the first female Starfleet captains in Star Trek and plays Jordi LaForge's mom. Amazing. Mm-hmm. I I will not be explaining this at all, but I do stand behind this statement 100%. Simba is a fuckboy line cook. He's yes, not, he is. He, oh, my God. He so is. He's not a drug dealer per se, but if you're looking for drugs, he can get them he for you. He can absolutely hook you up. <laughs> oh, totally. He has real fuckboy line cook energy. In Hunchback, there are a bunch of pigeons flying around Notre Dame. Oh, my God. The pigeons. 
Pigeons were still used as messenger birds up until the 1800s. This movie takes place in the 1700s. There should not be that many feral pigeons. <laughs> you really on about this feral I am. pigeon it thing. It really bothered me. It's di- Truly, it's difficult for me and probably the animators of this movie to imagine a world in which pigeons were not feral and out of control in every city. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, I have another hot opinion on Lion King that I will not be elaborating on. Go for it. The Lion King is a bisexual awakening film that belongs in the pantheon with the mummy. Oh, it absolutely is. (laughs) Oh, that's got to be on the list. Yeah. Mummy, Moulin Rouge, Lion King. Because Simba and Nala are both so hot. I don't know why. I'm not a furry. I can't explain it. Disney did something wrong (laughs) or right. I don't know which one it is. The fact that they named Phoebus's horse Achilles just for the joke Achilles heel makes me so happy. Wow, wow, wow. Makes me so happy. Also, we love uh, Kevin Klein who plays Phoebus because uh, it was fantastic. Though I cannot unhear him as fish odor anymore. Yeah. Which like was slightly weird. There's a moment. In Hercules, when they when we first meet Meg and she's like being held captive by the centaur. Uh huh. Hercules goes to introduce himself to the centaur, and before addressing him, <laughs> he does a quick genital yeah, check. Yeah, he does. It's not subtle. <laughs> no, that first of all. That is not how to ident- ask people how they identify. No. <laughs> Don't like that as a precedent to set. Let's not start doing that. No, let's not. Um, also, what? <laughs> That's all. Of course, the gargoyles' names are Victor and Hugo. I didn't catch that. Yeah, Victor, Hugo, and Laverne. 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 Do not assume someone is dead if you do not see a body. Right? Do not assume someone is dead unless you see a body. You cannot just shoot a bunch of arrows into a river and assume he is and dead. And hope for the best. He will come back to life. There is a 100% chance. Game of chance. Thrones taught us this. Unless you see them die, assume they are still alive. Exactly. The ending of no- of Hunchback doesn't really make sense to me because no Parisian would attack the cathedral. <laughs> So going back to our nose theory. Oh, yeah. Every other Romani besides Esmeralda has a nose. Oh, yeah. They all they all have like significant noses. Uh huh. And Esmeralda, because she's pretty and she's the lead. Does not. She has a tiny little button nose. Yup. Fuck that, man. Yup. That sucks. <laughs>